Go back to the land. Our land has so much, but our land can only give so much. Scano, welcome to episode three of Stolen. We are calling this episode Stolen Harvest. For thousands of years, our people lived off the land, eating from the abundance that the Creator provided for us. When the Europeans came, Many of our people helped them to survive on this land, teaching them about our crops, our fishing and hunting. As more and more settlers came to our land, the food resources were damaged, hoarded and destroyed. In many cases, the starvation of our people was part of a policy of genocide. In this time of the season of creation, it is very fitting that we give thanks for the harvest of both land and water. Our food security was stolen from us and remains a problem to this day. Guest host Peter Downey examines what has happened to our food and our capacity to sustain our health and well-being. Ona. Thanks, Jenny. The activist Winona LaDuke has said that food sovereignty is an affirmation of who we are as indigenous peoples, and in a way, one of the most sure-footed ways to restore our relationship with the world around us. While I think we can all recognize almost instinctively that there's a lot of truth in that statement, we also have to acknowledge that local diets sure aren't what they used to be and that in large measure, the forces of globalization have distorted our concept of regional food. Aparna Pallavi is a journalist from India who's devoted to studying indigenous diets and issues of nutrition in her country. She gave a TED Talk in 2019 and said these words. Food is nourishment, comfort, creativity, community, pleasure, safety, identity, and so much more. How we connect with our food defines so much in our lives, defines how we connect with our bodies, because our bodies are ultimately food. It defines our basic sense of connection with our existence. We need these foods most day to be able to redefine our space, humans within the natural scheme of things. Pallavi was bemoaning the lost foods once enjoyed by India's indigenous people and the devastating impact of that loss. Now look, we can't be smug about this in Canada. A recent 10-year study revealed that 48% of First Nations families, it's almost half, have difficulty putting food on the table. In Alberta, that number is 60%. Now, a little perspective, that figure is more than seven times the national food insecurity rate in this country. And keep in mind, these are figures collected before COVID changed everything. It's also worth noting that these numbers are much higher for Inuit populations, and they don't even begin to look at the loss of healthy traditional foods. 
So something serious is happening here, and that's why we'll spend the next two episodes of Sacred Teachings digging into this a little deeper to learn about the consequences and possible solutions surrounding stolen harvests. Producer Lisa Barry paid a virtual visit this week to the Kanaka community in B.C. She spoke with Pauline Michelle, who manages the Community Garden Project. Hi, Pauline. I'm interrupting your lunchtime, it looks like. What are, what are you making? Girls? Homemade chicken soup. Chicken soup. <laughs> yum, yum. <laughs> yeah, it looks really yummy. Tell me about the garden. It's a community garden, right? Yes. So our community garden, we started to talk about uh, being self-sufficient and uh, what our community encouraged in being self-sufficient. And we talked about our elders, our ancestors back in the day. We all had our own gardens, but it wasn't just a regular garden of a 10 by 20. We had fields of garden. And it wasn't just to feed us, but it was to feed our neighbors and other communities, you know. And I know my ancestors, my parents, my grandparents, we had uh, um, ranches. And for us, we probably had about uh, 20, 30 acres of just garden. So for us, we called it garden one, garden two, garden three, garden four. And our gardens would like look like in one field, all we grew was corn. And in another field, we would grow peas and carrots and radish. Um, we would grow, grow pumpkin and squash and things like that in one field. Then we'd move on to the next field, and they were all categorized. So that's how my ancestors organized it. So upon hearing that, the vision for Kanaka, that's where Kanaka wanted to go. So three years ago, we started to make a plan. And in the front of the band, band office, we, call, we had what we call a medicine circle garden, which has some of our medicinal plants. And that would contain, I, I don't always know the English names. I only know it in our language. Um, but we have a berry that's called swisham. Uh, soap berry, it's called in English. So we had that. We thought we would try and grow that to see if, to see if our soils would take it. So it has. So right now we've planted only a male soap berry. Soap berry to the First Nations is a berry that is high in iron. It is high in um, building up our metabolism. So for First Nations, uh, soap berry, we would take the berry and pick it in uh, July and would make a juice out of it. Or we could make Indian ice cream, what we call. And because it's so high in iron, when we make the juice, it actually uh, strengthens our immune system anywhere between the fall time and it'll carry us through the winter. So our bodies are uh, less likely to get the flus and things like that. So our immune system would be stronger. Another one would be student nettle. Um, student nettle for us, it is good for our eczema. It is, it, we can... Uh, we can make tea out of it and drink it, or we can put our hands into the into the plants and, and allow it to work on our skin for our eczema. So in that uh, medicine garden, we have a variety of different plants that we've planted to see if 
Kanaka Gardens and soils would take it. So we are aware of some of the plants that worked and some of the plants that did not work. But we wanted a place where we can say some of the plants that we know we can use for our own ailments, um, we can now plant it, right? And those that understand and know how to uh, uh, preserve those plants, you know, we wanted to let them know that um, they're welcome to come here and pick and harvest these plants. Behind it is our first year, we started to grow corn, garlic, um, we started to grow raspberries, strawberries, uh, what we call shuckum, uh, Saskatoon berries. So we've t transplanted some Saskatoon berries. We call that shuckum. And, and uh, so we've, our, our plants have been successful in that area. It's, it's too bad I didn't take a picture and just show you. It's just, in, usually in uh, July, and beginning of July and end of June, you can just see the garden just so full of flowers and blooming and, and everything. So yeah, I'm quite, quite proud of Kanaka having this vision and being able to see it being implemented. So your ancestors grew these gardens not so long ago. Why do you think they stopped? Um, having a garden is a lot of work. It, it, it is, uh, it does take a full day. Like I know with my ancestors, we would, they would get up at four o'clock in the morning and be out in the garden at five. And then they wouldn't come in to about, until it starts to get dark. So we're looking at a full day. With society changing and the economy changing, so a lot of people started to look and the need to have a job, the need to have their expenses and their homes pay for their hydro, their telephone, cable, things like that. So because society, that was the direction the society was moving towards, so did the stopping of the gardens, you know. I know in my ancestors with the gardens that my ancestors had, looking at the four fields that had to be maintained, it wasn't just my parents, it wasn't just us and my grandparents that looked after it. We had a variety of different communities. People from the YH came, the local uh, bands would come and they would come in wagons and they would stay for two weeks at a time to help with the, the rowing of the ground and everything and the planting and the watering and the picking and the harvesting, right? People would come from all over, whether it be Lillooet, Kamloops, Merritt, um, Hope, Yale, Chilliwack. Families would come and they would help help us do all the gardens. And then we would move on and help them. So we always had this rotation of moving around to our local communities to be able to harvest, right? Those days are gone. It was... When you have to choose of having to work to pay your way, as opposed to going back into your own yard and building the garden and, and having people come and work just because, systems changed. Even with Kanaka's garden, you know, that work didn't get done for free. We have to employ people to want to work the garden and do the work. You know, we need to encourage people to come in, come pick, come pick, you know, and if it's not being picked and our people aren't taking it home, we have to can it, we have to freeze it, we have to preserve it in some way so that 
it, it can be used later on down the road, right? Pauline, how has COVID impacted the community garden? Has it changed anything? I, th I think that it has because last year, you know, we had a lot more people willing to come out and, and harvest. We had a lot more people wanting to come out and pick and take home for their dinners. This year, especially with the COVID, it has been difficult because they're just not sure if they should. They're just not sure if it would be okay or they're just not sure if they could trust, right? I mean, COVID is real. You don't know who touched it before you, you know? You don't know if the people that are harvesting or have, uh, that have gone into the gardens have taken care of themselves to take their precautions that are needed at this time. You don't know that. So it does bring a lot of caution to our, our people. And uh, also to the people in town, the local community, Lytton, People don't come down here, not like last year. We had people coming in and take tours and walk around and, and you know, and they try to go back home and encourage their bands. Look, would be nice for us to do this, right? It's not like that this year because of COVID. We need to make sure that we take care of our hygiene. We need to make sure that we take care of, and we have to remember that somebody that is coming behind us, like if we're shopping, I can't just grab that apple, look at it and put it down. What we grab, we take. We have to take it, we can't put it back. That's what COVID says. In my ancestors' days, we only took what we needed. But when we took it, we weren't picky about it either. We took what was given to us, what was there for us to take. And we used all of it, we didn't waste it. COVID today says that. You can't take it, take a bite and throw it away because you just don't know when you're going to be able to go out and get another apple. If, if you are one of those people that need to go to the store to get an apple, instead of stopping at the roadside and see an apple tree and pick what you need, COVID says that. You have to be careful and utilize what you have in front of you because you just don't know when you're going to get it again. There's a lot of twists and turns for, I know for us as First Nations, it's a reminder to us. We, we take it as, it as it comes, but it is definitely a lot of messages I know my ancestors taught me. Take what you need and leave the rest. Always have to think about the person that's coming behind you and make sure that there's enough for them as well, right? COVID teaches you that. How are the elders doing? Does the community garden help them? So our elders, you know, they do appreciate what they're, what is given to them. They definitely appreciate it because they, they, a lot of them don't want to go out. And of course we know it's high risk for them, right? So we are, we do have them on our minds when they're being harvested. Yeah. So yeah. for like yesterday, I was just over at the health building. Today they've made plans to uh, can beets and so they're preparing to can the beets uh, today and then tomorrow they're going to actually do the preserving. So right now they're cleaning and picking and uh, cutting them all up and getting it ready tomorrow when they can the beets. So everything that they're canning, they have a list of people that could use these, these uh, preservatives and they're going to be delivering them, right? So that's a good thing. Pauline, how do you let people know when things are ready for harvest or pickup? 
you know, thanks to uh, uh, media, thanks to technology, we're also able to advertise that on the Kanaka's uh, Facebook page and say, we have lots of cucumbers, we have lots of tomatoes, come get them. They're already picked, just bring your own bag or container to take them home, right? Yeah. Well, it sounds just wonderful, Pauline. I'm so I'm so excited to have heard about it. And is there anything else you want to tell us about the project or about, you know, anything about it? I have to say, I, I can't help but be grateful that this became Kanaka's vision. I'm a real believer in trying to continue to share with my own kids and my grandkids about what it was like for my ancestors working the land, the tools that they needed to be able to do this. And it, it's and it's something because it, it allows you to have real good value in your family history. I'm really glad that Kanaka has chosen and has, uh, is working through the visions to have the same visions of our ancestors. We may not be able to bring back our past. We may not be able to succeed fully in uh, encouraging our people to get back to work in the garden, getting back to hay and getting back to ranching. But we can definitely give them a taste of it and allow them to see and bear witness of what it was like. And to be able to, to be able to support others that have chosen this way of life. I mean, how many people want to grow up and be and get into agriculture? Back in the day, everybody. Today, maybe, right? You know, we need to we need to encourage that. Unfortunately, no disrespect, but unfortunately, the stores doesn't fix everything for me. You know, when I look in a store, there are wants. When I want to look in my garden, it's a need. And I think for our people, our children and our grandchildren to move forward into the, into the future, we need to start teaching them what is a want and a need and what does that look like for our people. So I, again, I have to say I'm so grateful for Kanaka. We're moving in a direction that not so many bands and not so many people are doing today. And I'm really thankful that you have given me a privilege privilege to be able to allow you to see, hear, and to understand what our visions is for Kanaka. I can only hope and pray the government. I can only hope and pray people will be willing to come together to really encourage us because our young ones need to learn this. How do we look after ourselves? How can we depend on our land that, that have natural foods out there? What is it that we need to do to encourage us? We need to encourage government to say yes. We need to we we need to to um, to uh, be able to give grants, be able to give funds to encourage our people go back to the land. Our land has so much, but our land can only give so much. We need the help of other entities to be able to support this vision, to be able to support the understanding and the respect of our lands that are there. But thank you. That's producer Lisa Barry speaking with Pauline Michelle of the Kanaka community in British Columbia. Next week, we explore what happened to Indigenous communities when a primary source of food disappeared and authorities turned the food that was left into a powerful weapon. In the meantime, think of what author Michael Pollan has said. Food is not just fuel. Food is about family. Food is about community. Food is about identity. I'm Peter Downey. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you to Pauline out in Kanaka and the great work the community is doing on that garden and on becoming self-sufficient. To support this work, you can donate to the community garden by visiting communications at kanakabarban.ca. That's K-A-N-A-K-A-B-A-R-B-A-N-D dot C-A. Thank you for listening to Sacred Teachings. Please get in touch with us if you have any questions or comments. Please email bdavies at national.anglican.ca. That's B-D-A-V-I-E-S at national.anglican.ca. Now, I own a storm.